Ready to revolutionize your higher ed marketing game? Yes! Well, then don't miss out on Element 451's Engage Summit, June 27 and 28. Explore the cutting-edge world of education and AI technology and unleash your creativity like never before. Register today at engage.element451.com and use promo code EDUP50 for $50 off. Three higher ed authors, 100-plus college and university presidents, dozens of actionable insights for academic leaders. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education, is now available on Amazon. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio, back with you on another episode as I continue to say this every single time I come on, I'm back with you on another episode. Elvin, my co-founder, of course, of the Edpick Experience, reminds me that I am never allowed to stop because he'll never stop. We're going to continue to interview the brightest and boldest leaders in and around higher education uh, that we can bring to the microphone. Um, I always say that this is a crowdsourced podcast. You can come co-host with me. You can be a guest on this podcast. We want to interview anybody that's got an interesting story to tell. That's why we have 630-something episodes of this podcast, because we always say yes. Um, uh, so that keeps us pretty busy. I want to thank you for those of you that have picked up a copy of Commencement, The Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education, a book that I just recently wrote, co-wrote with Kate Colbert and released over Thanksgiving in 2022. It sold thousands of copies already. Of course, we took the first 125 presidents that we interviewed on this podcast and put all their insights and uh, uh, insights and things that keep them up at night and trends they see in higher ed. And we put them all in a book that you can pick up on Amazon. If you haven't, I can guarantee you it will be worth the 32 bucks it costs uh, just to get the insights of those people. It's, it's pretty incredible. So with that said, we, we, we are going to, at some point, don't tell Kate, I said this, we will write a second book, but probably not for another year. I mean, it's really hard to do that. I gotta be honest. And it takes a lot of uh, dedication uh, a lot of reading, which, you know, I, I don't really like reading that much, but, you know, maybe you do. No, I do like reading, but it, it's it's a lot of hard work. Um, instead, we're going to focus on the podcast. We're going to focus on hitting 300,000 downloads. And I have a feeling that the person we're bringing to the microphone today is going to help us move from 280,000 to 300,000 on this one episode. I, I just have a feeling this is going to go far. Uh, but before I bring her in, I'm going to bring in my guest co-host. You know him. You've heard him. I've been on his podcast now, and he's going to tell us about it. Here he is. He's Joe Linhart, Senior Account Executive for Higher Education with Advanced 360 Education. Joe, welcome back. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. It's been a little while for us. Schedules are tough, but I'm excited yeah. to get going today. Well, last time you were here, you were not a uh, podcast host uh, of your own podcast, and now you are doing your own podcast you want to give us a little plug i mean you know what plug away tell us to listen Come on. <laughs> well that's true i would be remiss though if i didn't mention advanced 360 education first uh, that's my full-time job my weekend warrior job is the podcast love to talk leadership uh on the weekends and throughout the week but uh certainly uh lo love representing advanced 360 education as well but the podcast is doing great it's off and running a lot of friends like yourself have really supported us in trying to influence young leaders and leaders that are in the chair um, in terms of best practices and just in sharpening their leadership acts. So mm, what a good segue to our guest uh, who is leading uh, a very innovative institution. We're going to bring in right now. She's Tara Cruz. She's CEO 
of Re-Up Education. Tara, welcome to the microphone. How are you? I am wonderful. So wait a minute, we're only going to get to 300? Why not 500 after this? There you go. What, what, we've done 600 episodes, um, but we're going to get to 500,000 downloads, yes, with, with just this one single episode. So I don't want to undercut. Yeah, I don't want to go a little short, you know, under promise and over deliver. One of the first rules you learn in, in sales, right? Love um, it. I love it. Okay, so let's level set for the audience, Tara. Re-up education. Let's assume somebody has not heard of it. Uh, what is it that you do and how do you do it? Yeah, so Re-up was founded seven years ago, really with the goal of uh, targeting the 39 million, 40 million or so and growing number of people with some college and no degree. Uh, the sad truth is, a lot of people are going to, a lot of people do exit higher education. And if they don't come back in those first six to 12 months, likelihood of coming back really drops off a cliff. Reup was founded to work with not just those that have been out just a few months, but really those that have been out a long time because we believe those people deserve support and nurturing to find their way back in and then ultimately just support them all the way to graduation. We've done that over the years with really coaching at our DNA. There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of systems that go in behind support it, but we believe having real human human connections is important to helping these people navigate the complex journey back to school and ultimately navigate a system that wasn't really designed in most cases with them in mind. Um, we've been doing that for seven and a half years or seven or so years focused on the stopouts. The exciting thing is over the last couple of years since I joined, we've now expanded that towards working adults in general. Because if you look at the stopouts themselves, um, their core characteristics, they're working, they have a lot of complexity in their life. It's just true of the, the rest of 100 million people who, don't, who are lacking uh, a post-secondary credential. Um, so it's been an exciting few years. We're really unique in our focus on the um, not just the, the people who've been out a few months, but people who've been out a quite some time and providing that wraparound support, helping them get back to school and ultimately to a better life. You know what's it, what I love what you said because that that uh, that many times uh, these folks are navigating a system not designed for them. So that's a really key yes. point, right? Um, and I want to have you talk about that. But um, I it's it's funny because I did a LinkedIn post the other day. Up until I don't know a couple of weeks ago, we've been saying thirty six or thirty seven million Americans with some college no degree, and all of a sudden it shot to forty million. And 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 you go, okay, why isn't that going down? Uh, with all of the focus that we're putting on on this issue and and so it comes to the to the, i bring me to the question of are institutions focused on the issue of getting stopouts back the answer must be no or else it would be going down right or, or is it just too hard is it a loss of focus why are there so many students out there that that aren't being communicated with appropriately i mean that's that's an assumption yeah so i mean the answer to the question is a little bit nuanced. Um, for one, and I think we certainly saw this at RIA, when COVID hit, if you weren't solving for COVID, a lot of institutions, other things that they've been pursuing, things that were, were important from a mission perspective, maybe got set aside a little bit as they were responding to crisis. So I think over the last few years, we have a lot of catch up to do in being able to find the people who did stop out. They focused a lot of attention on keeping people in, keeping things float, keeping people healthy. And, you know, there's no, there's no judgment there and like, you know, did the right thing for to keep the school um, going during those years. But the reality is that means that a lot of people did follow through cracks. A lot of people didn't receive that level of support and engagement along the way. But the other thing I think that is playing to this is 
a lot of the attention, even saw this in some of the recent like reports that come out on some college no degree, a lot of the attention has just been on those who just recently stopped out. In fact, a lot of the policy guidance is, well, get those low hanging fruit and get them back in. And our approach is to say, yes, absolutely. The further they get out, the harder it is to get them back in. But we can't forget the people who've completely been, who've been out a little bit long. We can't just ignore them and say, oh, well, that's just too hard. Um, but the reality is, and you touched on some of it, it gets, it does get hard. It gets hard to find them. It gets it's hard to convince them and talk to them about what it's going to be like to get back to school when their lives have evolved in such different ways. They may have new complexity in their life. Um, and then ultimately, once that you get them back in, it gets, it's even harder um, to keep them if your institution isn't designed for them. And I would say there's other one other like factor at play that's really making it hard for the average institution out there today to compete. And that is there's a few large institutions that have really driven up the cost of acquisition in just the open marketing space. So if you're a regional public who wants more adult learners in because you're facing enrollment cliff, because it's in your mission, you want to do all these things, great. How are you going to do it without spending unreasonable amounts of money on marketing to compete with the large players that we all know to be the bit, the dominant players in the market. You know, before I hand it to you, Joe, I do want to say one thing, and I've done this, I, I admit, and, and I would call out anyone in higher ed who's leading any kind of an admissions or retention function that hasn't done this. And that is looking at stopouts and you're looking at your upcoming goal. And the first thing you're thinking about to your point, Tara, is let's go for the recent stopouts who are more likely to come back so I can hit this immediate goal. Yeah, somebody stopped out seven years ago. There's much less likelihood that student is going to come back. I can't worry about that right now. I have to worry about the goal that's in front of me. So you never put the resources into really worrying about it um, and really designing things to bring those students back in a more robust way because we think term to term, goal to goal, target to target. Um, and this is a long-term play, right? Joe, over to you. I just want to make that comment because I think that is, I've done it. I've done it. And you have to really train yourself not to do that. And it's hard. hundred percent. And Joe and I, we both have dealt with this our whole careers and I get passionate about it, Tara. I mean, I, what I didn't mention earlier in my spare time, I also teach graduate um, work at the University of Arizona. And um, I know you're well educated as well. Looked at your background, very impressive stuff. Um, I am just curious what specifically REUP is doing with some of these guys, because, you know, it's, it, you know, today we're practicing more empathy. We're working on being more flexible with students and, you know, taking the time and, um, kind of meeting them where they're at, maybe more than we did 15 years ago. I wonder what specifically are you guys doing to help them along the journey? Yeah, so really great question. I'm going to call it one word you said there, which is empathy, which I think is really important. So one thing that REUP is built into our DNA and everything, every way that we communicate, every way that we work with students is leaning into that empathy, leaning into that understanding. What that means in like practice, and this is why I'd say with any institution, whether they're working with us or trying to do it themselves, you can't do this with scripts. Like you can't do this on the phone and like, let me count the time and I got to get to, you know, keep you under four or five minutes on the phone and get to get you back as quickly as possible. If you can't lean into understanding where that person is in their life, if you can't lean into understanding the emotional or practical challenges that they have to getting, getting back into school, you're going to have a hard time of getting anything other than those who just 
maybe forgot to enroll for a term or something specific sort of popped up that doesn't yet doesn't exist anymore and now they're ready to go back. It's going to be challenging. So when to specifically in the case Nailed of up, we have a um, every every bit, bit of information that the institution gives us about them, every bit of information that we're able to collect on that student, we actually build a persona for them. It's actually not patented um, as of last year that allows us to build, um, see detractors and motivators on that student. So that when my coaches get on the line, they're not reading from a script. They're seeing what is likely a motivator and a likely detractor. And they quickly look to build empathy with that student. And they do that not just by jumping on the phone. They do that through conversations with text. Like I look at the text messages. Oftentimes the first meeting, 75% of it is over text. We have somebody texting before they want they're fixing their kid's dinner. And then they'll follow up and have the next message after they put the kids to bed. And then they pick up on what that coach said and then answer the next message in the morning. Then maybe they schedule a call to work through some of the bigger issues. If you can't build that type of communication, if you can't build that type of relationship, which let's be honest, this, is, this isn't just a higher education thing. This is the way we all communicate with anybody in our life. If you can't communicate with them and the realities of their life and the realities of how they communicate with everybody else, you're gonna have a tough time at reaching these learners. That's a fact. That's a fact. In fact, you're meeting them right where they're at with the busy lives they have going on. And that's not so novel. I mean, it's, you know, we've all had busy lives for a long <laughs> time, but there's a lot more distractions now in our lives than there used to be for sure. I have to share with you, and I think this is um, Captain Obvious stuff, but, you know, what I learned way back in the beginning of my career was that graduation was the reason we do this. And so anybody who goes to a graduation that works in higher ed gets that, especially if you walk them through the journey. I'm just curious, thinking aloud here, Tara, um, your staff, you know, have they, you've been around long enough now to experience graduation. Have they caught that bug, that passion of why we do this? hundred percent, hundred percent. People choose Reup. they work here because a number of reasons. Like one, we built what, a lifestyle. What, what, sorry, Tara, what percent did you say? What percent? Yeah. 100%. 100 percent. I thought you said 100 <laughs> percent. The people who work at REUP, they're here for that passion. I, I've got ex-professors, um, ex-teachers, ex-social workers. Um, we live our values and how we interact with students and also in how we do the work. A lot of our parent, a lot of our coaches are single moms. They can live anywhere. They can work on their timeline. We think showing up for our learners in, a, in the same way, in a, in a way that feels similar to like what their lived experiences, it's also an important piece. In fact, it's one of the things that drew me to Rita. I'm a high school stopout, I was a college stopout, and I was an adult learner. In fact, when I was at UNC Chapel Hill, I think I was one of only, at least that I could find, like 25, 30 work, working adults at the at the institution at the time. I think it's gone up significantly since then. Wow, but it, I have, and I think it's an important thing to build that empathy as well. So. In, in like to your point of like how we're connecting with people, do they catch the bug? Do they get excited about it? That's that's the primary reason that they're here. In fact, all day long we get slacks and sharing people share a recording of what some student said or a message that some student came forward. Those are the things that keep the it's just baked into the culture of who we are. Love it, Joe. Hey, hey, uh, Tara, I want I want to go back to what you're talking about with um get to, the empathy and building relationships, right? This is a, yeah. this is going to be a funny question. I, I think it's got to be, um, well, first of all, let me say it like this. I believe, and you can tell me what you think, yes or no, 
that so much about getting students to return or not to leave in the first place is about self-confidence building. Right? There's usually some thing within them that has given them some doubt. Um, and, and even if they aren't doubting themselves, uh, ex, uh, externally, uh, th there's they use these things around them as justification why they can't couldn't keep going or why I can't come back. Anyway, if you're talking to a student who's 10 years out now, because I'm sure you're talking to students who have stepped out for 10 years, 10 years ago, mental health concerns were not a thing. Now they are. And does that student from 10 years ago understand that they might have quit school or stopped out because of mental health concerns. And at the time, boy, it didn't even sound anything like mental health to them. It sounded like a, a bill or a, anything else. And now the conversation around mental health has changed. And is that a lead in to helping you get students back by some recognition that, yeah, all these students always had problems, but now you're, it's okay. It's more okay to have these issues. And now there's more support. You know what I'm asking? Like, there's a, you know, there's a more immediacy and relevancy of mental health and before there wasn't. Yeah, I, 100%. I, I think I would go a step further to say that the things that have changed since I came through, since I was that adult on campus, we felt like the oddball out um, and questioned every semester whether I was going to come back. The things that have changed is not just an awareness of mental health. I think our society has changed where we're more open to talking about barriers. Like we're more open to talking about the things that have kept us from doing what we want. So yes, our learners are on it. They're talking to us about our mental health, their mental health. They're talking to us about past drug abuse. They're talking to us about things that happened to them that were traumatic on campus. They're talking to us about those things in the same line as they're talking to us about what what is a bazaar like and why do i have to go to them and why am i a 40 year old why am i being asked for a high school transcript like all of these things are friction and barriers along the way and each learner comes with a sort of a, a, a backpack of these things uh and it you know some of them are tactical some of them are emotional um some of them are confidence level and this is this is again why i think you can't go at these students with a script you can't have to go at these students with a time limit. Sometimes we coach students for two years before they show back up. Sometimes a month, sometimes two years. If you can't, if you can't meet them where they are, you can't listen for what the barriers are, what, what sort of things that they have in their backpack that's holding them down and keeping them from making their way back in, then you can't go, you, you can't help them get to the next step and ultimately help them to graduation. So yes, and I think as a society, we're just more comfortable talking about things. Whereas when I was going through this 20 years ago, I was just, you know, I didn't want to admit that I was different. I didn't want to admit that I had um, imposter syndrome because um, I spoke like I from somebody from rural North Carolina and didn't sound like all these highly educated people around me. We talk about those things now. And that's a good thing because we can't talk about them. We can't work through them. Excellent. Don't settle for average marketing strategies. Join us at the Element 451 Engage Summit, June 27 and 28, and discover how to harness the power of AI technology in higher ed marketing, connect with industry leaders, explore cutting-edge technologies, and future-proof your marketing strategy. Use promo code EDUP50 for $50 off. Register now at engage.element451.com. You know that the world of higher education is experiencing evolutions and revolutions. You want to be part of the progress. Commencement 
the beginning of a new era in higher education with insights from more than 100 college and university presidents. We'll show you how. Get your copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education now on Amazon right away. We think you're going to love it. It's amazing. I, I want to just ask a quick follow-up because I um, I just lo I love that right that's that's so important um, because if you can talk about the issues that you have you're more likely to overcome those issues and get back into school but why are students leaving in the first place what is you know is there a reason that you hear you know there's this old adage and Joe will recognize this that the first reason you get that a student leaves school is not the real one there's always something underneath it and so we were trained in admissions to kind of peel back the onion and so on but there must be trends now of why students are leaving school yeah I, I mean look I, I, what's interesting is because we're supporting students who've been further out um, the funny thing about memory I, I was actually a PhD student in history before this. So I, I think a lot about memory and like how good memory is. Um, the funny thing about memory when we're talking to people is it might be right, it might be not. It may be skewed by like, what is the latest thing that's happening now? But by and large, we see a, a few common trends that are popping up. Certainly it's the one that we all know, money popped up. Now, oftentimes you, if you unpack that a little bit, it's not just school was too expensive. It was, I took on, too much working. I didn't take on as much debt as maybe I should because I was so scared of debt that in certain populations, like we see that really, really prevalent, that I worked too much. And then because I worked too much and I couldn't afford, like money is not a, um, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of make it through. I couldn't keep up with my classes. Therefore, my grades declined and I was at risk of academic probation. Um, or I couldn't get enough financial aid. I chose a school that was too expensive. Um, right at the gate for what I could afford because I made the decision because of it was next to home or it was this or it was that. So the first bucket is money. But again, we have to unpack that a little bit and go, what was the challenge? Did you take on too much debt? Did you not take on enough debt? Did you work too much? Did, did you work? Did you work too little? And how much of that is relevant to the conversation today and, and going back? The other thing I think is that we've seen is that belonging. Um, and it becomes that if you left because you didn't belong, like truth is like, that's only gonna get worse the further you're out because you're gonna feel more and more like an outsider. We have learners all the time saying, oh, but I'm 35, am I gonna be in a class full of 18 year olds? Hell, I remember at UNC Chapel Hill, my very first semester, I, I mean, I wasn't even that much of an adult learner, I was 26. Um, I had a guy in front of me who said, did you see that person at the party last night? They were so old, they were like 25. Yikes, um, yikes, yikes. Those little things, like that's, our learners are scared of those things. So feeling like you're not going to belong as an adult, if that's the reason you left, oh man, that's only going to get worse. Like you're, that, that, that fear is only going to um, compound it. And reality is many of our adult learners who have left, um, the thing that they experience while they're there is the thing that they're experiencing today, which is time poverty. We're getting a lot more people into higher education than we did in the past. We're doing a better job, not, not as good of a job as we can be and should be. We're doing a better job of getting broader, more diverse population, especially the socioeconomic diversity in. But we're not always aligned to the reality of their lives. People who come from lower income areas, they oftentimes more, have more time commitments elsewhere. They're helping take care of family. They may be working to keep, keep, the, keep food on the table of their family back at home still. That time poverty, which is the defining characteristic of what we see of our stopouts, 
also only gets worse along the way. So it can be all sorts of things that are drive it, but like finance, but don't bucket it together because there's a lot that can unpack there. Um, uh, time poverty um, and um, feeling of belonging. There, those are some common themes that pop up. And sadly, all those things just get worse the further, the further you've been out of school in many cases. Time poverty. I like that. Uh, Joe. I do too. And part of what I was thinking about, Joe, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, the mindset of the student today and the generation today is a little different than, than our generation was. And that's not enough to say, you know, gosh, ours was so much better or anything else. It seems like we have a different mindset towards financial aid and, as you say, money. And, mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of other factors that are at play. But I want to switch gears just a little bit with you, if I could. I went out to the REAP yeah. website this morning and read a bunch of case studies that were really interesting to read. And I encourage listeners to, to go out and read some of those. I wanted to ask you as the CEO, how have you been received with universities across the country? Tell us some of the stories and, and, and just kind of how they feel about you. Yeah, um, uh, always a question I like to talk about. And I think especially now, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think during COVID, a lot of institutions went into survival mode. Um, so we actually, you would have expected a, 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 an uptick um, in this type of work during COVID. We actually saw it go down um, a little bit. In the last year or so, we've really been like heartened by how many institutions are now sort of beginning to say, ooh, this is a problem that we cannot, that we can no longer ignore. We need to go out there. We need to be doing better with this population. We need to be doing better because um, an enrollment problem, but we also need to be doing better just from a societal um, issue problem. So a few things like how we're being um, received today. I think a lot of institutions who initially engage with us, they're, they're talking about the same things that we've talked about here. Um, you know, I, I'm relatively good at getting people back who've been out for six months, but after that, I don't know. Like, I don't have a system for it. I don't have the resources um, uh, to go after those students. I know I need to, I know I want to, I don't know how, and I don't know what to do to go go there. Can we collaborate and figure out how to do it? Um, so that's the that's the primary thing. I think the one interesting trend I've seen recently is, um, you know, in the like years ago, like at least from what I could see is like I, I've been in company almost two years now. But what I could see from conversations that happened before I joined, a lot of it was around enrollment management teams. Um, now, like we've seen an increase in interest from two new parties, really. Um, academic affairs, like provosts, are, are like people who are driving this conversation uh, forward, um, as well as CFOs. So I think that like the, the thing that's really sort of interesting about the market is a lot of institutions are now raising up and going, oh, we, we need to be solving this. They're also increasingly aware of the enrollment um, challenges coming. I think we all saw the news around um, West Virginia University downsizing. Those are the conversations we're having with schools every day right now. But the real sort of like shift has been that academic affairs and CFOs are now joining the conversation um, as well. I think the other interesting shift that you didn't ask this, but I think it's an important one, is that it's no longer just institutions. We've actually seen a lot of interest from state governments, because ultimately, this is not just a higher education problem. This is not just an individual like person's family problem. Governments are beginning to realize, 
oh, this is an actual problem for my local economy. This is a problem for our constituents. Wow. Uh, we've begun working directly with states. In fact, our first public one in New Jersey, um, we launched um, this summer with 17 of the public schools um, in New Jersey and direct sponsorship for the governor who said, hey, institutions shouldn't have to pay to sponsor this. Institutions, we're, we're going to, the state itself is going to come in and say, this is a priority. We have 750,000 people who stopped out in New Jersey alone. We as a state need to come together and as a community of schools need to come together, help find these learners, help support these learners, and ultimately help them get a, a credential of value. Amazing. Wow, what a great opportunity for you guys. You know, just to, so you know a little bit about me, I, while I teach in higher ed today, I come from, like Joe does, career education and mm -hmm. always been passionate about technical and vocational education. And I'm just curious, do you see a spot uh, for your services in that space as well, or is it mostly on the higher ed side for you guys? Oh, Tara, oh, oh, there you go. Um, I'm going to mute to call for a second. Um, we primarily focus on higher education today. Um, now, we have begun to experiment in some of the career and technical um, institutions for, for students who raised their hand and said, I just don't, I, I absolutely don't want this. I want something very specific. Um, mm -hmm. Most of what we do in that space, though, is actually working with community colleges. Um, that's been a major focus of ours over the last year. Um, most of our, uh, our new partners are public regionals um, and community colleges coming together. And we find we can address a lot of those needs with our community um, college partners um, themselves. Having said that, as we've begun to do more work in um, our, our states and our government, they've begun to ask us, like, how can we pull in other, other things um, as well? Yeah, it makes I, sense at the community colleges, right? Because the enrollments declined like 10% or whatever it was. They were having tons of trouble getting people back. There was the uh, uh, black men were not returning to college. I mean, and, and particularly black men who were going to community colleges. There were a lot of issues around community colleges. Are you getting those students back, Tara? I mean, it, yeah. you know, let me ask you, the question is, are these stopouts coming back to higher education or is the media um, noise, I'm gonna say the public noise around a college degree having value, or no, get a, get a quick credential, don't go back to, what, what is that disruption looking like? Majority of our learners um, are interested in an actual, a post-secondary um, credential, associate's degree um, or undergraduate. We still see that has value in this population. Sometimes I think, I mean, certainly uh, there's a lot of conversation about like short form credentials and, and definitely we've seen interest in short term credentials. Oftentimes we see interest in short term credentials as a stepping stone towards the two year degree or to, towards the four year degree. Um, and I will say, I think I, I am, I, I think it plays a really important um, role in our space. And it's one that we continue to look at, like how to incorporate it into the learner's overall education um, journey, because oftentimes it's the quickest, it's the quickest path to economic gain. And if that right. learner hasn't achieved a certain level of just baseline financial security, they may not be able to take that, that jump to something more substantial. But that longer degree oftentimes is still the best path to a sustainable career, not just a job. And Nailed most it. of our learners intuitively get that. So I, you know, sometimes I think 
it's hard to say what that's going to be in the future. Right now, my critique is, look, I, I come from North Carolina, like way out in the middle of nowhere, about 10,000 chickens per person. Um, oh! People like my, people like me, people from my background, like I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have that four-year degree. That gave me social capital um, to get to where I am in my life today. So we want to make sure we keep optimizing for people having access to good careers while continuing to look at how we can equitably give people access to things that may get them to good jobs as a stepping stone to a good career. You know, I love what you said because the, we, there is active argument around college degree value, as you probably know in here. And I, I'm on, I'm on, I, I believe like you do. Um, but the argument sometimes is around that a college degree doesn't provide the necessary ROI. But the college, the ROI around a college degree is about future ROI, not immediate ROI. The social capital that you gain to get the opportunity to get the ROI, it's all tied together. It's, it's very hard to distill it down to simply a financial calculation, Joe. And you know that that, that, that is an active and ongoing conversation. Yeah, always, it seems. Um, and by the way, Tara, I should mention um, 10,000 chickens. I'm a Kentucky kid, born, born and nice. raised. I get it. We may we may even beat you on that ratio. I don't know. But <laughs> I want to ask you really quick, um, Joe and I generally like to ask this of a lot of uh, higher ed leaders and leaders like yourself. Um, how do you see the, the the higher education space in the future? Like moving forward the next 10 years or so, how do you see it evolving, changing? Yeah, so I'll, I'll preface this with saying um, at my very core, I'm an optimist. Um, everybody on my team knows this. At my very core, I believe in higher education um, in the U.S. Wonderful. I still think we have the best higher education system in the world. Um, I just think we have we have an opportunity to leverage it in new ways. So I mentioned briefly passing. I, I am a PhD dropout in history, so I'm I'm still like a historian at heart somewhere uh, deep down in there. If you look at American higher education. We've had multiple periods of transformation over the years. What higher education was in the 1800s was something for an elite few, and it was you know, incorporated religious studies and all sorts of things that we, we would find peculiar to be part of who we are today. The last 1900s like, was really about bringing a lot of people in, was about pulling in more professional, pulling in more, um, more, um, uh, more in different tracks, more pathways to learners to explore different things, and ultimately creating diverse innovative economy. We did that to a relatively good job, could have done more, still could do more um, over the 1900s. The challenge of higher education for the next 50 years is to figure out how to get the adults back and to serve them at scale. And we can't do that with a handful of large online institutions alone. I'm not saying they don't have a role, I think they have a critical and important role um, in our system. We have got to raise up our regional publics um, to the challenge at hand. They were built to do that. They were built to reach the people who had been lost or who couldn't access our premier publics or our few private institutions in the past. They're the right players. Our community colleges, our regional publics are the right players to carry us into the future. But that's going to require a pivot for a lot of institutions in figuring out how to serve adults. In the same way, like we had a pivot in, in the early 1900s as we figured out how to serve people who weren't just 
rich and elite as we figured out how to support people who on, were on GI Bill coming back from war. I think this is an opportunity. I think even some of the crises that we are talking about right now, be it um, the stopout crisis, how many people um, are being, uh, how many people have left without a credential, be it um, the enrollment crisis or the skills gap crisis. Because let's be honest, like the fact that we aren't graduating more of these people is creating a skills gap crisis. But PwC says we're going to cost the country 11 trillion by 2030. All these crises are opportunities. Um, and the optimist in me, the, the, like, the person who like believes in American higher education, believes we have to raise up our community colleges and especially we have to raise up our, our public regionals to meet this crisis. Um, and I think maybe this, is, this, this, this sort of like moment of pain can ultimately be a good thing for the driving growth of the next 50 years. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And, and I would tell you that I'm passionate too about not forgetting the fact that skilled trades in this country are so needed and that there's a yes. whole facet of this, this country right now in the world, really. I hear about the shortages in Canada, for example, in the skilled trades. You know, I think there's a real opportunity in this country for all of those types of schools to flourish, right? But again, um, our approach to education has to continue to evolve and change. And I think, I think you said that really well. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a leadership guy, I always like to ask leaders in, in high-level positions like yourself, kind of where's, a, where's the future of REAP? What's the, what's the vision moving forward now uh, in the coming years? Yeah, so there's a few things that are happening internally. Um, one, we've just been scaling rapidly. Uh, over the past couple of years. Um, by the end of this year, we expect to have about a million people um, in our database. That's a million potential learners that we can reach out to. And we think that'll grow exponentially in the, in the outlying years. So you think about that 40 million or so, we've got to start reaching out to them. We've got to start building uh, relationships with them. Even if it takes years, we're, we're oftentimes these people aren't being engaged at all. And they're making decisions about where they go back to school based on what ad they saw on Hulu the night before. <laughs> we need a better solution um, for them. So one, it's just growing and reaching as many as many of these people as possible to start the conversation and start, start helping them on the journey back. However long that takes, wherever, wherever they want, end up, we're agnostic. We just wanna help people get where they wanna be um, in life. That's piece one. I think um, piece two is, we are continuing to look at how to bring new technology and new ways of communicating with people forward. So I mentioned like a lot of our communications are happening by text and then that will lead to a phone call. We have some new technology that we're, we are, that's in testing now that we hope to launch, we're gonna launch a little bit later this year. Um, it's gonna allow learners who want to self-service before they, they find their, their way or before they start talking to somebody. We wanna be able to reach people with whatever method, whatever solution, whatever communication that they need, and whatever tools that they need. So we're, we're continuing to build on the tool set of reaching these learners. And we think that's critical to getting more engaged and more oh. beginning to build intent to go back. Because let's be honest, and we talked about this beginning, this isn't a learner after they've been out for just a little bit. Oftentimes they don't have intent to go back. Um, True. We don't, we, we wanna meet them, we wanna support them. And we want to help them figure out what's what's next for them. The the simplest way I think about what we what we do and where we're going is the message I say to my team constantly is 
If you're lucky enough to buy a house, this is the second biggest investment you will make in your life. And you do it without a real estate broker, without a mortgage broker, and without all those systems and all those structures and all those support networks that exist to help you make a good decision for your house, none of that exists for higher education. Um, where I get excited is, how do we bring that level of support? How do we bring that level of like shepherding to higher ed? Because it's a huge decision. They should do it. I was lucky enough to go to a really great school, but I chose University of North Carolina because they had a good basketball team and it was cheap. No idea it was a good school. I lucked up. A lot of our learners, a lot of our learners don't have that benefit. Basketball team is basketball team. I don't know these days, but they're <laughs> we're, we're going to ignore the last year. It's it's, it's a sensitive subject. Right. You got some problems in Kentucky too, Joe. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's so much in, in what you said that uh, that is I like the passion, right? That's such an important part of this. If you're going to serve students, you have to have the just like the unyielding, laser-focused passion because it's hard sometimes, particularly when you're trying to get if you're trying to get somebody back in. There's a million reasons they might give you why they can't come back, and you just have to find the one reason that to convince yes. them to to come back, right? So there's it's like. Um, Oh gosh, what was I telling? You know, it's like job hunting almost, where if you're trying to find a job, you got to apply a hundred times. You're going to get 99 no's, but you're going to get one yes that's going to change your life. And it's that one reason that that student starts back. Tara, I want you to leave you with the mic. No structure, open mic. Anything else you want to say about re-up education before the, we close this episode? Um, I would just say that... Uh working with us or, you know, where we exist um, today, we are, we're here to support these students. Um, the, the truth is most everybody's ignoring them. Um, the truth is, I think it's, it's, it's a good idea to be focusing on those who've been out so that they don't ever make it to be being further out. But of those 40 million, vast majority of them didn't stop out in the last six or 12 months. Um, we can't ignore them. Like this isn't just, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't just a um, um, a uh, enrollment problem. This is a societal problem, um, and it's an economic problem. And if we don't start treating it as such, if we don't start reaching people and providing this level of engagement and this level of support, that number from 40 million is only going to go to 45, and it's only going to go to 50, and it's only going to get worse. And the higher up that number gets the more people are gonna start asking the questions that I think those of us in higher education don't want people asking, which is, is it worth it? Like, we want people to believe in it. We want people to work as we know what its value is. So I, I leave you with, this is, this is a problem that I'm glad is getting attention. Um, and I hope for all those out there, whether they work with us, whether they do it themselves, whether they work with somebody else, um, tackle the whole problem. Don't just tackle the easy. Wow. I will say that I agree. And the amount of attention we're paying to this problem is really just becoming uh, manifesting itself, which means typically it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, one way you can make it better is to reach out to Tara. Um, if you want to get uh, going and re-engaging your student base and reach out, reach out to re-up education, because it sounds like they will be able to help you accelerate uh, your business. She's easy to find. You can find her on LinkedIn. 
um, connect with her. I bet you if you just go to the reup website, you can put all your information in there. Somebody will call you. Um, somebody that calls me all the time, my guest co-host, he's Joe Linhart, one of my good buddies in higher ed, senior account executive for higher ed with Advanced 360 Education. Joe, what'd you think of this conversation with Tara? I loved it. It's a passionate, uh, you know, obviously it's in our wheelhouse. So we're passionate about students and student success. And obviously you guys have got that figured out. But what I took away from their website and this conversation is that they're passionate about students and you have to be to succeed in this venture. So absolutely uh, enjoyed it, Joe. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And my guest today, your guest today, here she is, ladies and gentlemen, she's Tara Cruz. She's CEO at ReUp Education. And she, we are officially now having her ed up on the ed up experience. Tara, I hope you enjoyed your experience here on the podcast today. I did. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, looking forward to seeing that number get to 500,000 listens. With your help, we'll get there. Ladies and gentlemen, you just ed upped. Experience Element 451's Engage Summit Conference this June and get ready to unleash the power of AI in higher ed marketing. Deep dive into how this emerging tech will revolutionize the education landscape from personalized student engagement to turbocharging your marketing efforts with AI. These sessions are guaranteed to help you smash your enrollment goals, connect with like-minded professionals, explore cutting-edge ed tech products and services, and leave with the knowledge to supercharge your institution's growth. Don't wait. Register now at engage.element451.com and seize your chance to lead the pack in the AI-driven education revolution. Use promo code EDUP50 for $50 off your registration. It's time to level up. The beginning of a new era in higher education begins with you. Order your copy of Commencement. The beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert, Dr. Joseph Lucio, with contributions by Elvin Freitas. It's Higher Education's must-read book of 2022. Discover how you can seize the moment to change higher education forever. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education, now available on Amazon. For bulk orders, contact Kate, Joe, or Elvin. 